Hey, let's pray. Father, uh, once again, Lord, as we come to your word, we look forward to what you're going to teach us. God, I pray that as this author is, is trying to reach a, a group of people who are struggling and they're, they're kind of messed up theologically. They're, they're even messed up where they're wanting to go back to old ways. And, and God, I know that often the world just draws on us and pulls on us. And, and I pray that as, as he pours out the heart of God to these people to give them a greater understanding of who their Savior really is. Lord, I pray it again would impact our lives. Lord, it's one thing to say we know you, but it's another thing to actually know you, to spend time at your feet to learn and to understand who you are and understand what this thing we call salvation is all about. So God, I know that I know it's important to have our hearts engaged, but I also know it's important to have our minds engaged. So I pray that you would so bless this time. And for each one of us, God, Meet us where we're at. Give us what we need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as the author has been, again, he's been talking about Jesus is greater than, kind of proving everything, kind of laying it out. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the, the, the priest. He's pulled that one out. He's, you know, greater than the old sacrificial system. He's going on and on and on. Now in chapter eight, he gets that place where we're gonna read in a moment. He says, now this is the main point. Here's what he's gonna say. This is what I've been trying to get to. This is what I want you to understand. And I know for some of us, again, this is like a, a lot of Old Testament stuff here that he's talking about. And I know most of us sitting here tonight are not struggling with going back to the temple to offer sacrifices. I understand that. Most of us are not struggling with the idea that we have to go back and, and worship with, uh, at the temple with the priests and etc. I get that. But I do believe we struggle with things. I do believe we get tugged on, and listen, just as they were tugged on with this specific thing, we need to understand as we're being tugged on that we need to pay attention to what he's saying here because here's what he's gonna show us. He's gonna show us that our Lord is greater than, and in my mind, here's how I interpret chapter eight. He's greater than anything, and the new covenant will blow your mind when you understand it. Now, having said that, I think it's important for us to understand the new covenant can only be the new covenant if there's an old covenant. And here's where it gets a little theological. The new covenant is not for Gentiles. The new covenant is for Jews. And we need to keep that in mind. God did not make a covenant with Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. He didn't make a covenant with me. He made a covenant with Israel. And we're gonna read about that. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Now, having said that, Here's the cool part. We get grafted into that. We get to participate in that. But you need to understand, this is about Israel and about Jews. And he's trying, who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians who are, have the Hebrew background who are struggling. So once again, kind of pushing them in that direction. You need to understand Jesus. You need to understand your God. And maybe even greater than that for us, we need to understand the covenant we have and how good it is and how much better it is 
than the old covenant. So as he begins here, once again, in in verse one of chapter eight, he says this. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. So what has he been saying? He's been saying Jesus has this Melchizedek priesthood. Jesus is greater than the priest. His sacrifice is greater than their sacrifices. He's going on and on. So he goes, hey, here's the main point of what we're saying. We have, in the middle of verse eight, We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Now, I don't know about you guys, but listen, I read that and I think, wow. I just read that and I go, yes! That's my God. Listen, my my Jesus is the one who he's he's there and he's seated at the right hand. Now, a couple things as we think about that. As we think about him seated at the right hand. In the temple, if you go back and study Exodus and look at it, there was never, no chairs. Why no chairs? Because their work was never done. Jesus Sacrifice was once for all. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying he's got a lazy boy recliner there that he's in. But he's seated while his work is accomplished, his work of salvation. But also seated at the right hand is not just a resting place so much. It's also a place of power, a place of authority. So all of that is going on. Listen, he's trying to get in their minds an understanding of that. It's interesting, in the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body of the Jews, right? You had the Sanhedrin. They were the big boys who made the decisions. When they would meet together and one of them would sit as a judge, and it was usually the, the presiding high priest, when he would sit as judge, on his left-hand side was the guy writing all the accusations. On his right-hand side was the guy writing all the acquittals. Now think about what they would think when they hear he's at the right hand. They would think, okay, that's some good news, right? So he lets us know, number one, he says, hey, we have a high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. And then he says this, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. We're going to read in a moment, I don't want to get too far ahead, we're going to read in a moment the tabernacle and the temple that the Jews built were just a shadow of what was in heaven. God showed Moses, here's what I believe. I believe God showed Moses a nice 3D, 4K vision of the temple in heaven. And then Moses went and copied that. I don't think he gave him blueprints. I think he gave him a model. I think he let him see it, and then Moses went and copied that. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is where? What does he say? He's in the heavens, but either, even greater than that. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. So Jesus is serving. He's a servant. And like I said, hey, when he got to heaven and it says he's seated, it doesn't mean like he just kicked back and he's seated. He's still serving. And we're going to read about that in a moment. He's still, he's still busy. And what's he busy? He's busy about us because we're a handful. I can't imagine, you know, when I, when I think about, when I think about what the Lord does, and I think of just my life, he's got to be like overwhelmed with the things that I do and, and the things that I bring to him. And, you know, I, I, one of my friends gives me a bad time. I often pray about what to wear. I think that's okay. You know, some people go, that's, and this one friend of mine, that's so stupid. 
Do you really think God cares what you wear? And here's what I answer him. My God does. Because he cares about me. And he doesn't want me to look bad. My wife cares about what I wear. So surely if she cares about what I wear, wouldn't God care much more about what I wear? He doesn't want me to embarrass him. So listen, but I think, listen, I think of things like that and, and just the things I bring to the Lord. And, and then I think of all of us in here and, and kind of start multiplying all of the requests, all the thoughts, all of our hearts. And he's busy with all of that. And it sort of boggles my mind when I think about it. So bottom line, here's what he's saying. There is a greater tabernacle. And that greater tabernacle's in heaven. And they were struggling with trying to go back. Think about, here was their struggle. They want to go back so bad. It's just right there. Think of it this way. They could go back to something tangible that they could get their hands on, that they could see, that they could feel, that they could touch, versus trusting God by faith. Walking by faith is hard. It's a difficult thing. I love what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. If walking by faith was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's a difficult thing. It's hard to exercise faith. I'm thinking about even right now, how many of you really have faith that God is still in control? I just thought I'd bring that up. It's hard at times, isn't it? And think about them. So we have our own set of little problems that we think are, are so huge and big and overwhelming. Well, they were the same way. They were gonna go back to something else. We wanna go back to something. We wanna take control of something. And here's what he's saying, man. Focus on this one who's seated at the right hand of majesty on high and he's working in the true temple and he's a minister for you and I. Now, I think verses one and two, here's what I think. Woo, yes. Oh, listen, he goes a little bit further. Verse three, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that, the one, that this one also has something to have something to offer. So, hey, here's what, here's what we think. I, here's what I believe. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. Done. But now he's bringing gifts to the Father. What do those look like? Our prayers, our praise, our worship, our thanksgiving, and how about this? Even our confessing of sins. So as I said, listen, in one sense he's seated and done and complete and it's over, but in another sense he's still serving. Remember in Acts chapter seven, I almost said Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter seven, I love that whole chapter and I know it's a long chapter. And I put up a, one verse, but you gotta, if you're not familiar with it, it's Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And remember, Stephen is, is, is telling these guys, and, and man, he's just like ripping the Sanhedrin, right? It's kind of fun. Whenever, whenever I read that, I think, dude, you are radical. I think Stephen was probably from Bisbee. That's what I'm kind of figuring. But man, he is just going for it. And then do you remember when they picked up the stones to stone him? Do you remember what Stephen said? He says, the heavens opened. I'm kind of paraphrasing or paraphrasing. And what did he say? I saw Jesus standing. Why was he standing? Hey, Jesus stands to take care of his. Don't ever forget that. He might be seated, but when his are in trouble, when you get in trouble, Jesus stands. 
and he's involved with us. And he's offering, listen, as I said, he's offering gifts. That was part of the deal. He's gonna offer our gifts. And here's what I believe. When we get to heaven, you know what he's gonna be doing? Offering our gifts. He's gonna be there. He's gonna be that mediator. We'll look at that in a minute, that go-between. And that's who we have. So I read this, and here's what I think, man. I think, yes, oh, it gets better. It gets better and better. Verse four For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, Moses said, or God said to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So here's what he's saying. Number one, Think about this. When Jesus walked on this planet, when he hung out in Jerusalem, did he ever take over the temple? Did he ever go in and help them do sacrifices? Did he ever go into the holy place? Did he ever go into the holy of holies? If anybody could, he could have just walked right in there, right? That was his. But I, to me, it's sort of mind-boggling. Think of the humility and the fact that here he came And that was his, and he treated that with respect like any other Jew, Jewish man would have treated it. That blows my mind, and here's what he's saying. When he was on earth, he he wasn't the priest because he didn't come to be a priest here. Listen carefully. He didn't come to serve in the the priesthood of Aaron. I always want to say the Aaronic priesthood, but that doesn't sound good, does it? So the priesthood of Aaron... He he didn't come to serve there. What did he come to serve? In the Melchizedek priesthood, which is better. So here's what he says. Number one, he wasn't a priest here. And then he said, they serve in a copy and shadow. Now, Saint, let me ask you something. Do you want the shadow? Or do you want the real deal? Yeah, most of us, hey, you know what? Like when you fall in love with somebody, you don't follow their shadow around. You want the deal, right? You want the real deal. Now, this sort of blows my mind because here's what he's telling us. The earthly tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of the real thing. The reality is in heaven. That's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Even today, even today, one of the biggest things in, the, in, in Israel and especially with the people at the Temple Institute and et cetera is to try and find the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I believe the true Ark of the Covenant's in heaven because that's where the reality is. And the reality is there. And, you know, one time I said to somebody, and this, this might, I might maybe took it a little too far. I believe our spiritual world is more real than our world that we're in. I believe that. And this guy said, really? Let me punch you in the face and see how real that is. I go, why would you go there? Why would you just think that right away? Want to punch me? But I believe the heavenly realm is where reality is. And all of this is just preparation to get there and to do what we're doing. And we need to keep that in perspective. Plato, you know, it's interesting. When you think about this, Plato, right? A Greek philosopher. I don't read much Plato. I don't read Aristotle. I'm not that guy. But Plato had this theory that everything in our world was a shadow of something in another world. Like 
We have horses. There's a real horse someplace. And he got a little spooky about it, like he was, you know, when he would do it. But here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews kind of picking up on Plato, right? He's going, hey, that tabernacle. Now, now imagine he might even be, I don't think he was in Jerusalem writing this, but, it, you know, for, for the sake of argument, he could even point and say, that right there, that's just a shadow. And imagine how spectacular that looked if you've ever seen any, any uh, reproductions of it and what the temple would look like. Had to be mind-boggling, and here's what he's saying. That's just a shadow. The reality is in heaven. And he says Moses did a good job. Now when we talk about the tabernacle, Moses did a good job building it. And, and here's what's kind of fascinating to me. I don't think the real tabernacle in heaven has a bunch of skins on it. Remember they had to put all the skins, the different skins and etc. I don't think that, I think what he's talking about, the reality of it is the way it's laid out and the way you come to God and worship. Now some of you may say, Pat, I think it's got skins on it. That's fine. When we get to heaven, look me up. We'll figure out who's right. But you and I need to understand something. There's something far greater for us than I think we can even imagine. And we need to hold on to that. That's called walking by faith. That's called trusting God. That's called believing God. And I think even really, even in, you know, when, when times get difficult, that's when we call on his name. So, so listen, he says that, and he says, he said again, God told him, do it according. If you've ever read Exodus, right? God laid it all out, and he goes, hey, Mo, do not mess this up. I always love that, that whole scene where he's going, don't mess this up. Get it right. Do it exactly like I showed you. And I, every time I read that, I think, that would be kind of heavy, like when somebody gives you a job to do and they tell you not to muck it up, if you're like me, the first thing you do is muck it up. And you go, sorry, man, I did my best, right? So he had to go do it. So then, now, now listen, we're gonna transition so he let us know Jesus is in this better tabernacle. So what has he told us so far? Jesus is greater, Jesus' priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than the, Aaron, the priesthood of Aaron, not the Aaronic one, but the priesthood of Aaron. And now the real temple is greater than the temple they're worshiping in. Now, listen, now here's where he's gonna, I really wanna think about, here's where he's really gonna start pushing them. Because again, these guys are struggling and listen what he says in verse six. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Woo! Now for us, most of us understand that. I think most of us, I look around, most of us are, are, are fairly mature believers and, and we kind of get that and we read it and we get it. But I guess my question is, do we really get it? I mean, do we really, really get it and understand? Number one, do we understand that Jesus being in heaven, that you and I can't accomplish anything without him? Do you really believe that? Because oftentimes we try and do it ourselves. We sometimes, we, we, we would never say it out loud, but we want to impress God. And so, you know, maybe the, the Bible reading's like five chapters, we do eight. And we think God's going, wow, you're so awesome. Jesus is our go-between. Now, 
I grew up, I shared as we're going through this, I grew up in, a, in an Orthodox church where in an Orthodox church, much like a Catholic church, you have a priest. And the priest is the mediator. He's the go-between. And, and even some of us carry that into Protestants and we think our, our pastor is. And that's wrong thinking. Listen, we have one mediator and one mediator only, and that's Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, here's what he's saying. We gotta get this in our hearts. He's saying, hey, he going, he obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as also he's a mediator of a better covenant. Now again, for us, that doesn't, that doesn't hit our hearts, but think of these guys. That had to be, listen, man, that had to be something like they're sitting there, they're sitting there, and, and again, I like to imagine what was happening in the context of, 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 of the first century. Some guy wrote this, and he wrote it on, I'm thinking a scroll, right? Because they had scrolls, they didn't have Bibles. And someone took this letter to this group of people wherever they were, and he took it, and they all sat down, and he just starts reading it. And you're kind of reading it, and you're going, ah, that's a little, that's that whole thing, that whole thing about Jesus being greater, huh? That Melchizedek thing. Maybe, I kind of like that argument. And I kind of sort of understand his temple thing, because I know Exodus, and I know in Exodus it says that God gave him a model. So I get that, but this covenant thing, dude, shut your mouth. What are you saying? Why would you say that? Do you know that the Jews almost worship the Old Testament, the covenant, the law? Think about it. Think about it. If you ever go to Israel with us, when we go to Israel, you'll see some Jews and they, they have their phylacteries, right? And they tie the one box on their hand or forearm and the other one on their head. I, I always get, I, I love that part watching them do that and they tie it so meticulously and they're so careful about it and they're so right about it. And I've shared before, the first time I went to Israel, I really wanted a set of phylacteries. I went in a store, 300 bucks. I didn't want them that bad. Then I looked at the, I go, 300 bucks, this is a little square of leather with some stuff in it. I'm not paying 300 bucks. So then we were out and we're walking up one of the streets and there's, there's this stand-like thing, a, you know, a stand and kind of a box and it had tons of these phylacteries in there. And I went, oh, this must be the, you know, this must be the, the, the yard sale group. These guys are done with them. They're, and so I start digging through them. I'm gonna find me a good pair. And I'm digging through them and this person comes up, oh, let me put these on you. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. And he goes, no, 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 let me tie these on you. And I go, these aren't for sale. He goes, no, these are just to be used. You can't take these. And so I guess they were to use if you were caught out without your phylacteries. And I almost walked off with them. I'm thinking, man, I would have gotten serious trouble. But what's in the phylacteries? Again, in the phylacteries is the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, you know, and, and you need to write, write it on the doorpost, write it on your hands, write it on your forehead. Most of the Jews memorize scripture. Almost every Jew has Psalm 119 memorized. Think about that. And then, also in Israel, what did they have on the, on the doorpost, on the doorframe? They have the mezuzahs, right? The little mezuzahs. What's inside of those? Same thing. 
So listen, man, they're being faithful. So I want you to think about all of that, all of your, your background, everything that you've ever believed is, is built around that, and all of a sudden you have this guy? Who is this guy? We don't even know who he is, right? Who is it that wrote this? And now this guy that none of us know, that none of us understand, here's what he says. He has a more excellent ministry in as much as he's a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Here's what I think some of them would say. Bet me better promises. Show me. And the author of Hebrews said, I'm glad you asked. Because see, he lays this out. Now he's going to show them in 7 through 13. And 7 through 13, listen, here's the thing. 7 through 13 is basically, he's quoting a section of Jeremiah 31. If you've never read Jeremiah 31, Tonight, before you go to sleep, read it. It's only one chapter. I'm not giving you a lot of homework. Well, I might give you some later. But Jeremiah 31, man, listen, that's powerful, especially if you get the whole context. Well, you know what? Maybe you should relate it, relate it back to Kings and Chronicles because Israel was in serious trouble. They're about to be taken captive. Now, some people say maybe he, Jeremiah wrote this when Josiah found the law and started reinstituting it. I'm not, I think that's a little too early. I think Jeremiah was prophesying this part in, in 31 towards the end. But however you plug it in, this is words from Jeremiah. And here's the point. Why would that be important? Because they're not from a New Testament person. This is an Old Testament prophet. This is a guy that was freaking out over Israel and how they were reacting to being taken captive. Remember, and he told them, just chill out, trust God. I always love that, man, because when I think my world is falling apart, when I don't like what's happening around me and, and my center of my universe, because things should revolve around me, and when I get all freaked out about that, I think of Jeremiah, and I think of those Jews, and I think of all that was going on. And here's what Jeremiah, I can do the whole book of Jeremiah in a couple words. Trust God. Trust God. Just go with it. And maybe that's a word for us right now, right? Trust God. So, so listen to what he's saying. He's gonna quote, so here's what he says. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would, be, there would have been, uh, I'm sorry, if it was faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says. So listen to what he says. If that first covenant was faultless, why was it? Is, is there fault in the, new, in the old covenant? No. What's the problem with the old covenant? The problem with the old covenant is us. Man can't keep it, right? Sinful man. It's not the covenant that's a problem. It's the keeping of the covenant that's a problem. And what is, what is the major thing? When God gave, I was gonna say Adam, when God gave Moses, when he gave him all of the laws and they're laying out all of the laws, what was it that was condition? If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this, right? And a condition. And the problem was, man can't keep those conditions. And the whole point of the old covenant is to push that entire nation and generation after generation into understanding I can't, but God can. 
So that's what he's saying when he's saying faultless, and he's not picking on it. So again, I can kind of imagine some of the people kind of raised up and thought about it. Hey, check out Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 7 says the covenant's good. Romans chapter 8 says, but you can't keep it, right? So for homework, I, kn- I said I wasn't going to give you a lot. Jeremiah 31, Romans 7 and 8. That's not a lot. Come on, that's only three chapters. So listen, he lays this out. Now listen to what he says. All he's doing is quoting Jeremiah 31. You can, you can even shorten Well, I'm not going to tell you what verses. Most of you have it at the bottom of your Bible anyway. So listen to what Jeremiah says. Behold, in the middle of verse 8, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by, by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So here's what's going on. Listen to the heart of God. I made a covenant with you, and you didn't keep it. Now here's, well, here's the thing. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make a new covenant with you. And once again, I want us to understand the new covenant is not with Gentiles. Even hear this. The new covenant's not with the church. The new covenant's with Israel. What did he just say? He says, to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah, I'm making a new covenant. And we need to understand that. Now listen, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to us, but it wasn't made for us. I think way too many Christians think, well, you know, we have the New Testament. No, you don't. The New Testament is the new covenant. You don't have that. The Jews have it. They just letting you borrow it for a couple thousand years. Letting us get grafted in. Hallelujah for that. So here's the thing. They couldn't do it. Why? Because there was fault with it. What was the fault? The people. And here's what God says. I led them out of Egypt. What did Israel do the moment they got out of Egypt? They started whining. And when did they quit? They're still whining. It's like, you know, and and even one of our guides, Ronnie, he starts whining. He goes, why does all this stuff happen to Israel? And so I got private with him one day because he just kept whining about that. You know how beat up we are. You know how horrible it is. So I got private with him and I said, Ronnie, why is this happening to you Jews? Because you rejected the son of God. Because you rejected your Messiah. I said, read and it tells you very plainly. If you reject God, here's what's gonna happen to you. Homework. Okay, I won't give you this one. Well, Deuteronomy 28. It's a long chapter, but man, God lays out specifically what he's gonna do if they reject him. And then listen, there's there's like, that is so specific. I think there's 16 verses that says how God is gonna bless them if they obey him. And then there's 50 verses on what he's gonna do if they don't. That's pretty detailed, right? And so here's what he's saying. I led you by the hand out of Egypt and you disobeyed me. You rejected me. I gave you everything. When, when you think about, man, God set them up to be so good. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, right? Hey, I'm gonna put you in this garden. Do, do you ever like fantasize about that? I'm gonna stick you in this garden. No weeds, hallelujah. And all I want you to do, all I want you to do is tend this garden and I don't want you to eat from this tree. I don't think there was anything mystical about the tree. I think it was just something around which they could choose to obey God or not. That's what I believe. 
But listen, he says, and I think about that. I, I look in my head and I think of the, like the coolest places that I've ever seen on this planet. And I think that had to be 10 times cooler than that. And you just had it made and you go, you know what, God, I think I'll disobey you. It's in our nature. Now, it wasn't in their nature, but it's in our nature now. And so listen what he says, man. I led them and they couldn't do it. So here's what he says, man. They did not keep my covenant and I disregarded them. So what does he do? I'm gonna make a new covenant. Now, I love this part in verse 10. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none, of his, and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Woo! Now I want you to notice a few things. This is like the Abrahamic covenant. How many I wills were there? You don't have to count them. There were several. How many ifs were there? None. God didn't say, I will do this if you do this. Here's what he says. I'm going to do this. How cool is that? Just think about what is the new covenant? Listen, the new covenant is giving a person, number one, it's etern eternal, it's internal. God changes us from within. He doesn't give us a set of rules. He doesn't give us regulations. He doesn't give us all the clothes we have to wear and the clothes we can't wear and the things we can eat and the things we can't eat and all of that. Here's what he says, man. I'm gonna write it on your heart. He changes us. He gives us a new heart. Hallelujah. That's the new covenant. The old covenant was written in stone. The new covenant's written in our hearts. I love that. Do I hear a phone? No. No? Okay. So <laughs> he, he writes it on our hearts. When you think about, when you think about that, just, just think about how God has changed you. We were talking in the, the back room before we came out, and we're, always talking about very spiritual, godly things when we're in that room. That is the holy of holies. <laughs> the whole worship team's laughing. <laughs> Not. And sometimes we, we got in a conversation, and I don't know how we got there, but we were talking about things we did before we got saved. Some of the things. And, you know, I think in my, in my life, alcohol was a big part of my life. And that wasn't a good thing. It wasn't good for me. I'm not saying nobody can have any alcohol. I'm saying for me, it wasn't good. And here's what I thought of as I was, as I was sharing. Here's what I thought of. Today, I drink all the alcohol I wanted. And tomorrow, I'm gonna drink all the alcohol I want. You see, I don't want it anymore because he changed me on the inside this is what he's trying to get across. Do you want to relate to God by a list of rules and regulations and et cetera? Or do you want to relate to a God who comes in you and changes you and gives you a new heart and a new life? Man, I think about that. and I mean, that part's just good enough, right? And then I love this part. He's going to be your God. I always love that part. He's going to be, what does he say? I will be your God and you will be my people. 
Not you might be my people. You're going to be. We're God's peeps. How good is that? That's a personal thing. Listen, for the Jews, a lot of Jews came in corporately. They came in because they were born into the family, etc. You're a Jew. You come into the body of Christ individually. And he brings you in as an individually. He gives you a new heart. He makes you his people. And he is your God. And again, he's your personal God. Listen carefully. Not your personalized God, but your personal God. And then, and then he says, hey, you're not going to have to teach about me. Now, here's what he's not saying that we can't learn about him and we shouldn't study. Here's what he's saying. When you get a new heart, you learn to trust him. And you don't have to have somebody say, okay, now here's what he's gonna do and you need to have faith in that. You just trust him and you know him. I believe all of us can testify. I think of my own testimony and I've shared before, I got saved in my bed at one night. So I didn't get saved in a church. I didn't get saved at altar call. I got saved in my bed. I remember that night very, very, very vividly and calling on the name of the Lord. But here's what I know. The next morning, I knew him. Why? Because he changed me. And I opened his word and I wanted to read his word, but I knew him because he changed me. I didn't know everything about him. I had a lot of growing to do and I mucked a lot of things up, but I knew him. And, and that's what he's saying, man. I love that. And he's saying, man, you don't have to do that. And then the best of the best of the best, here's the greatest news ever. He gives us a new heart. He's our personal God. And then there's forgiveness. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Yes. Yes. You know, it's funny. You read that and, and brainiacs, right? The commentators. There's really brilliant, brilliant men. And a bunch of them say, well, you know, God is God. And if God can forget something, he wouldn't be God anymore because he forgot something. And I'm going, why, why did you just ruin that for me? Here's the way I interpret that. God is perfect. Right? You guys agree? So if he forgets something, he forgets it perfectly. Yeah, I'm gonna rest on that. You know, those guys can say what they want, and I understand, here's what they say, he will remember it, but he won't remember it as an account against you. And I kinda get that. Listen, when somebody does, when somebody does something wrong to us, what, 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 as a believer, what should we do? We should forgive them and forget. But we can't erase our memory, right? I wish we could. But. Here's the thing, when it says forget, you do not hold it against them when you remember it. See, if you can remember an incident that was traumatizing and horrible in your life, but then you remember it and you don't have ought against that person, that's what he's talking about, about forgetting. So people try and put that on God. I believe God forgets perfectly. That's just what I want to believe. I don't, I don't believe God. I don't believe when I get to heaven, he's going to go, you know, Pat, you did some stupid, stupid, stupid things, but don't worry, I'm not going to hold them against you. That's not going to be very comforting, right? But I want, us to, I want us to just sit and dwell on this for a moment. There was no forgiveness in the Old Testament. You need to understand that. Your sin was covered, but not taken care of. Jesus came and took care of it. He offered his blood as a sacrifice once 
and for all. Hallelujah. And God forgives our sin. We were singing that we're gonna, we're gonna come to him and we're gonna give him all that we have, the days in the past, the days yet to come. I believe, listen, I believe God forgives every sin we have committed and I believe this, this is crazy, I believe he forgives every sin we're gonna commit because he's God. And I put my hope and trust in that. That doesn't mean I go out and sin. If I, if I, if I like claim that, woo, yes, I can go sin like crazy. You gotta question your salvation. Do you have a new heart? Because see, the whole thing is that new heart, right? So then, then listen, I think he said all this, and I think they gotta think about it, right? If you're a Jew sitting there, you gotta go, he just read Jeremiah to us. So for that. What was Jeremiah getting to? And then check this out. In five years, they're gonna watch that temple be destroyed. I believe this was written before the temple was destroyed or he would bring it up. But I think it was written late. In five years, they're gonna see that temple. Well, you could even say six. I'm not telling you exactly. But they're gonna see that temple destroyed. They're gonna go, huh. I'm glad I didn't put my faith in that. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, and then he wraps this up with this. You guys, we went long. In verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Once again, he's not putting the old covenant down. Here's what he's saying. You have a new when he says new too, you can check out this in the Greek. When he uses the word for a new covenant, he doesn't mean new of the same kind. Like, you know, sometimes we replace things in our home, right? And we get new of the same kind. It's new, but it's the same kind. He's talking about quality-wise new. New and different and better and greater. And here's what he's saying. If you have a new covenant, why are you going to this old obsolete piece of junk? It would be like you have some wreck in your, car, in your yard. Like my dad used to keep a Corvair in the yard just in case. And it was there. And he didn't go buy a new car and go, huh, I think I'll go drive the Corvair. It wasn't drivable, but I think I'll go drive that. I'll go sit in a Corvair. No, what do you do? You get in your new car. And it was completely different. Do you hear what he's saying? You don't go back to the old. But here's what we do. We tend to go back to legalism, why? If we make rules and regulations and we put all of those out, that's easier to keep than walking with God by faith. And so we make our list of rules and somebody does something around us, some believer, and we, I can't believe they just did that. Shame, shame, shame. That's the Old Testament. Get new and realize the old is obsolete. I kinda like thinking that, right? Now when we go to Israel in March, I'm hoping we're going, don't go up to Jews and say, hey, you know what, I got news for you, your covenant's obsolete. So you need to get it together. That's not a good idea. You might ease into it a little bit and talk to them. But it is obsolete, and our old ways are obsolete. And Christians don't get sucked back into that. Trust. Jesus completely and fully. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you again just for the challenge. I think of, I think of the Jews and their lives kind of going 
It, it, had to be, it had to be tough and hard for them and mind-boggling for them. And yet, God, I know, again, most of us are struggling with the whole, that whole Old Testament relationship. But I pray we would understand that you designed this New Testament, this new covenant. And this new covenant's about, bottom line, what, what the Bible calls being born again getting a new heart, letting our hearts be changed, getting a God that we can trust and believe in, receiving a mediator who's going to mediate for us and take care of us. So I pray, Lord, I pray that we would look at this and we would maybe not have to worry so much about the old covenant, but we would we would meditate on what we have been given as believers. And if we're not believers right now, that we would make that difference. We'd call on the name of the Lord. We would be saved and we would be changed. And we would understand our God is great. He doesn't forget us. He doesn't forget about us. Even when we think, even when we think things aren't going away, we think they should. He hasn't left us out. He hasn't forgot about us. So God, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters that you would increase our faith. And I pray, Lord, I pray for anyone standing here right now that does not know you, that you would change their heart. Give them the faith to trust you. And I'm gonna ask everybody to stay in an attitude of prayer. And if you are here tonight and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, this guy we read about, this person here, who's the one seated at the right hand of majesty. He's the one that's the mediator. He died on the cross for your sin. If you don't know him, tonight is a night for salvation. And the way you begin your relationship with him is simply by being honest with him. Sometimes we phrase it like this, you call on the name of the Lord. And by that, here's what we mean. You let God know that you know that you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard because everyone in here has sinned. So let him know that you know that. And then as you're standing here, you should be, you should be burdened by your sin, sorry for your sin. And then all you have to do is in humility, ask God to forgive your sin. And right now it told us that he's here to forgive sin, to forgive unrighteousness, and to forget it. So if you call on that, if you say that, God is gonna hear you. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer with me out loud, you can say it silently. The most important thing has to come from your heart. Call on the name of the Lord. Let him know that tonight you want salvation. If you're backslidden, Come home, come back to Jesus. He's drawn you, you're in this church for a reason and you're here because he's drawn you back. If you're watching online, if, you, if you're home and, and you're watching us and God touched your heart tonight, say this prayer with us. You don't have to be in this building. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And tonight I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. 
thank you tonight for your forgiveness. Right now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.